All right, so last week we saw that we are absolutely, totally, and forever free in Jesus Christ. We saw that. But now this week we're going to answer the question, but what exactly does freedom look like? What does it mean to be free as a believer? So what does freedom look like in the life of a believer? Uh, Now there may be no better book to go to for that answer than the book of Exodus. Now granted, freedom is talked about a lot in the New Testament, okay? It's talked about a lot, it's almost on every page. But one thing that's super neat about the book of Exodus is that it is a story of freedom uh, in the form of story, right? So it's teaching us a lot about freedom, but it's in the form of a story. And hey, who doesn't like a great story, right? We love stories. We love, love, love stories, right? So um, Jesus is teaching us about freedom through this grand tale, (laughs) through this grand story. So that's kind of neat. And what we see here uh, in this book is that for Israel, freedom is not a one-step process. It's not. It's not just Pharaoh saying, get out, okay? No, freedom is a multi-step process for Israel, okay? Uh, And so um, let's do this. Let's look at some of the elements of a life of freedom that the book of Exodus teaches us. Today we come to Exodus chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you could turn there now. Exodus 13. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. The verses will be on the screen behind me, okay? So we come to Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to look at the whole chapter. So we'll look at verses 1 through 22 together. Exodus 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. And on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they, came, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is God's word. Okay, so the first thing we need to do here is we need to define exactly what freedom is. So let's do that. What is freedom? Point number one in your outline. Freedom is attachment. Freedom is attachment. What do I mean? Well, modern society defines freedom as detachment. Okay? <laughs> detachment. Becoming detached from your parents, detached from your bosses, detached from the government, etc., etc. Okay? What, what modern society says, in order to be truly free, what you must do is completely detach yourself from as many limiting factors as you can, right? And then what you'll be is totally independent. You'll be independent and free. Okay? That's how the modern society, our modern society defines freedom. The Bible defines freedom in exactly the opposite way. <laughs> exactly the opposite way. So the Bible defines freedom not as detachment, but as attachment. Attachment. You see, Scripture makes the far more realistic claim uh, that true independence, true detachment is impossible. It's actually impossible. You are always attached to things and people, no matter how hard you try not to be, you always will be. Uh, and so freedom then is not detaching from everything and everyone, no. Freedom is attaching yourself to the right thing. It's attaching yourself to the right person. Well, what is that? Let's take a look. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Verse 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. You see, the purpose, the whole purpose of Yahweh freeing his people was not so they could detach themselves from Egypt and then wander about aimlessly in the desert. No, 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 no. God's desire was for them to detach from Egypt and attach themselves to God. You see, they're detaching from Egypt and then attaching themselves to Yahweh. Okay. 
God's command, if you remember, uh, to Pharaoh back in chapter 7, verse 16, his command was not, let my people go. I realize that's what Charleston Heston said, okay? That is what Charleston Heston said in the, mo- in the great movie, the famous movie. He said, let my people go. But that's actually not what Moses said. Did you know that? It's not what he said. Moses actually said, or rather God said through Moses, God said through Moses, let my people go so that they may worship me. See, Charleston Heston put a period where God put a comma. It wasn't let my people go. It was let my people go so that they may be attached to me, so that they may be mine. You see, according to Scripture, true freedom then is in service and worship of Yahweh. That's true freedom. True freedom is to be attached at your creator's hip. Okay? Freedom is to be attached to your creator. All right, there's just one problem, though. Just one tiny little problem. We won't do it. (laughs) We won't do it, right? We attempt really, really hard to attach ourselves to anything and everything but our creator. And this, my friends, makes us slaves. Makes us slaves. You see, we, we are slaves to our careers, to our bank accounts, to our spouse, to our kids, to our good looks, to our health, etc., 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 right? There's all kinds of things that we try to attach ourselves to, um, and we have enslaved ourselves to them because they are our counterfeit gods, counterfeit gods. They are our, they are our idols, our idols, and we cannot in any way, shape, or form free ourselves from them. Uh, once we are attached to them, that's it. It's over. Uh, And so just as he did with Israel, Yahweh then must free us. We cannot free ourselves. Yahweh must do it. He must fight the war. He must win the victory. And that's exactly what he's done in Christ. Uh, That's what he's done. You see, at the cross, we just sang about it, right? At the cross, Christ freed us from our attachments to the world. He freed us from our counterfeit gods. This is not something that we have done ourselves, nor is it something we must do for ourselves. No, this is something that's already been done for us. We've already been set free. And therefore, this is not something we must do. It is something we must believe. It's something we must believe. And that is no easy task. (laughs) That's no easy task. Uh, I have been accused many times of preaching easy believism. Well, you just preach that easy believism stuff. Well, you know what? That's simply false. It's not true. <laughs> I don't preach easy believism. Okay? I preach extremely difficult believism. Extremely difficult believism. You see, it is incredibly hard for us to believe that Christ has finished the work for us, that there is no work left to be done. It's hard for us to believe that we are truly free, free from sin, shame, and fear. It's hard to believe because those chains, they, they still feel so real <laughs> around our wrists, you know? It feels real. It feels heavy, right? We feel weighed down by them. And so it's just hard It's hard to believe that we're truly free. 
It's really hard. So no, I don't preach easy believism. <laughs> I preach very difficult believism. You see, doing, doing comes easy for us. I could get up here every week and just pound the pulpit and give you a bunch of stuff to do this week and you'd love it. Right? You'd take good, some good notes, you know, like, all right, I'll get to that. We love works. We love doing things. We're wired for that. And so doing is easy. We, we, love, we love our checklists, things to check off. I could do that every week, and that, that'd be no problem for y'all. Y'all love it, love it, love it. Doing comes very easy. Just give me something to do, preacher. We love that. That's easy. It's believing that's hard. It's believing that's really, really hard. And so our Creator knows this. And our gracious Creator, over the course of our lives, He helps us believe. He's helping us do it right now. <laughs> He's helping us do it right now. You see, He helps us see the futility of all our counterfeit gods. He's exposing, over time, He's exposing our counterfeit gods. And He helps us to walk in freedom. He helps us to believe, you see. Now, how does He do that? Well, our text sheds some pretty great light on that. There are three more things I'd like for us to look at that freedom requires. Freedom requires. And this is how God helps us believe. So the next point in your outline is this. So we've seen what freedom is. Freedom is attachment. Point number two in your outline is that freedom requires a journey. It requires a journey. It's not a one-step process. So as we saw here, the Israelites have been let go. Okay? They've been in slavery for 430 long, grinding years. And they've been let go. They're now outside of Egypt, and they're on their way to Sinai. And what we're told here is that God did not take them the most direct route. Did you, did you see that? He did not take them the most direct route. And that begs the question, why? Well, why not, God? I mean, they've been in slavery for 430 dadgum years. Could you not give them a break? <laughs> and just let them take the shortcut? I mean, my goodness. They've been in chains for 400 years. And God says, no. The shortcut won't do. The shortcut won't do. Now, why not? Well, the text actually answers it for us. Okay, the shortcut won't do uh, because God had knowledge about the people that the people did not have about themselves. God knew that had they gone the more direct route, the people would have run back to Egypt. They would have run back. Okay, they would have gone right back into slavery. So the quick way was therefore not the best way because God wants them to be free. <laughs> he wants them to be free. He doesn't want them back in slavery. And if he takes them the short, easy route, well, then they'll end up right back. Uh, and so the quick way is not the best way. Now, why is that? Like, why does it work this way? Well, it's because you can take people out of slavery, uh, but it's a lot harder to take slavery out of people. A lot harder. Right? I've even heard one scholar put the book of Exodus that way that essentially the first third of the book is God getting people out of slavery, and then the next two-thirds of the book is God getting slavery out of the people. <laughs> okay? It's getting slavery out of the people. And that's the harder work. <laughs> it's the more difficult task is getting slavery out of the people. Um, you see, the physical and political freedom that Israel received was external. Okay? Their external chains literally were gone. Okay, they were gone. Outwardly, they were indeed free. But the problem was internal. 
It was internal. Internally, they were still slaves. That was the problem. And you know, folks, it's the exact same way with us. It's exactly the same. It's no different. You see, the Christian life is similar to an experiment I read about a few months ago called the chicken cage syndrome. Chicken cage syndrome. Has anybody heard about that? The chicken cage syndrome. It's a fascinating experiment that they do with chickens. So the chicken cage syndrome is this. So they put chickens in cages. They lock them in cages for six straight months. Okay? Six straight months, they're in a cage. And then after six months, they just open the front door. And they say, shoo, 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 shoo. Go, go, go. And so they kind of have to like drag the chickens out of the cage and they kind of throw them out there and let them run away. And do you know what the chickens do? Yeah. They run right back. <laughs> they run right back into the cage. Why? Because it's what they know. It's what they've become comfortable with. It's what they're used to. It's predictable. You know, it's become cozy in there in their little cage. I think that's exactly the, the analogy of the Christian life. We are indeed free. At the moment, the nanosecond of our conversion, that front door to our cage was flung wide open. But what do we do? Oh, it's scary out there. <laughs> I don't know what to do out there beyond this cage. It's comfortable in here. It's cozy. It's predictable. I know what's going to happen day by day by day in here. I think I'll just stay. Although the front door is wide open. We just hang out in our cages. And we spend the rest of our lives just kind of staring at that open cage door. And wondering why it's open. And wondering maybe what it would be like if we just stuck our toe out of the cage. <laughs> Wonder what it would be like. You see, we spend the rest of our lives trying so hard to believe that we're free. It's hard to believe. I get it. It's hard to believe. We know theoretically, you know, we know theoretically that we're free from sin, the bondage of sin, and we know that. But practically, we still return to our cage to our chains of anxiety, shame, and fear. As Jesus said, dogs return to their vomit. Likewise, you and me, we return to our cages. We worry that we have more to do to please God. You know, God's upset with us. We have more to do. You know, we, we worry that we have to work harder and do more to get on God's good side. You know, I've had a really bad week this week. I've had a bad month. I've had a bad year. I got to do more to get on his good side. You know, I got to go to church. I got to be a nicer person to my neighbors. You know, God's upset with me. We're scared. We're scared that our latest sin has damaged our relationship with God. We're scared to death of that. And folks, all of that is utter, pure nonsense. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's nonsense. You see, you did nothing. Nothing to free yourself in the first place. Nothing. <laughs> you did nothing to detach yourself from sin and shame and attach yourself to your creator. You did nothing. Jesus Christ did all of that. Every bit of it. 100%. You did nothing. Okay? So therefore, what could you do now to ruin that? You didn't do it in the first place. What could you do now to detach yourself from God? Uh, you, no, you can't do anything. 
<laughs> Jesus said, for those whom I have in my hand, no one can pluck from my hand. No one. Not even you. <laughs> That's kind of cool, isn't it? Even you cannot get out of Jesus' hand once he has you. You see? But hey, I get it. I get it. I get it. This truth that we know, we know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to get from here to here. It's hard, 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 hard to get from head to heart. And I know we come here on Sundays and we sing to the top of our lungs about freedom, right? We, we just did it. We sing, we raise our hands. We got tears coming down, you know. <laughs> we sing, sing, sing about our freedom. And then we immediately walk out those doors and return to our cages. Immediately. And hey, I'll raise my hand the highest. <laughs> I'll raise my hand right up here with you. I do the exact same thing. I walk right out that door and I go right back into my cage. My cage of shame. My cage of regret. My cage of sin. I return. I'm right there with you. And so, let me give you a couple of examples of how this plays out. Okay? So here's how this plays out in our lives. What we do is we walk out those doors, and then we begin to over-desire good things. So there's good things out there, really good things. And what we do, though, is we over-desire those things. We over-desire sex, money, relationships, power, comfort, happiness, knowledge, etc., etc. Right? There's all kinds of things. Okay? Now, all those things are good. Those are all good things in and of themselves. No problem. Those are good, good things. Okay? But here's the problem. The problem comes when you say to yourself, I have to have those things. I have to have a comfortable life. I have to have a big bank account. I have to be popular in school. I have to be the smartest person in the room, etc., etc. See, when we start saying, I have to, I must have this or that, well, what's happening in those moments is you're putting the chains back on your wrists. You're becoming a slave to those things. You're going back to your cage. You're trying to detach yourself from the cross and trying to attach yourself to these things or people that you're over-desiring. And this is exactly what we see with Israel. Uh, this is exactly what we see. They were here at the same time free and not free. See? They're free and not free. The, the front door of the cage is broken off. There is no front door of the cage, but they're still just chilling in there. They're free, but not free at the same time. And we will see them uh, over the next weeks and months multiple, multiple times here in Exodus start to miss their chains. Start to miss them. And we will actually see them beg Moses to take them back to Egypt. They'll beg. <laughs> and what that shows us is that though their bodies are free, right? There actually is no chains on their wrists any longer. Their hearts have yet to get on board with that. <laughs> their hearts aren't on board with their freedom yet. But you know what? This actually is all part of God's plan. It actually is, okay? God wants you on a journey of freedom. He's not taking you the shortcut. The shortcut don't work. 
It doesn't work, folks. It don't cut it. Now, I get it. There are many of you sitting here today, and you are wondering, right here where you sit, you're wondering why God is taking so long to answer your prayers or to get you where you, know, you want to go in life or whatever. You're wondering why it's taking so long. And what you're missing is that the quick way is not the best way. It just is not. The process is actually a critical part of the plan. It's a critical part of the plan, okay? The process is vitally, vitally important. There's no shortcuts to freedom. God wants you on a journey. He wants you on a journey of freedom. I mean, what if? What if the best way for you to live a life of peace and freedom is to go on a journey to get there? Well, it seems to be the witness of Scripture, the witness of the book of Exodus, certainly, is that is the case. It's better for you to go on a journey to get to freedom. Okay, that's number two. Number three in your outline. The second thing that freedom requires is freedom requires pain. Freedom requires pain. Now, I know that some of you have been through some pretty hard experiences. Some of you are currently going through very hard experiences. Um, and you all know this. You know this. You get it. That when you're in the middle of a hard experience... You're in the middle of a trial, a middle of a storm, and just as you think you're at the end of it, right? Just as you think the dark clouds are lifting, what happens? Something else hits. The other shoe drops. You're like, huh. Oh. Another challenge hits you right between the eyes. It's unbelievable. Look at verse 18 here. Israel's free, right? Well, let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Ready for battle. Hmm. Now, which, this is a pretty simple statement, a pretty simple verse, but it's actually setting up something pretty wild that we'll explore in the next several weeks. So what's being set up here in this verse, verse 18, is the fact that Israel is about to wander the desert for 40 years. 40 years. And so this journey of freedom that they're on, this is going to be anything but pain-free. Anything but pain-free. And so what Israel does, and what many of us do, me included, me included. What we do is we shake our fists at God, right? We say, how dare you? How could you do this to me? How could you bring this pain in my life? And we never consider. We never consider that God is teaching us about freedom through our pain. Never consider it. I mean, isn't it true that when you lose something you love, a thing or a person, isn't it true that if you find it, you actually love it more after you found it? Isn't that true? After you've lost it and then recovered it, you're like, oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that true? Don't you cherish it more after you've lost it and then got it again? Well, 
What if God is doing that very thing with you right now through your pain? What if, for example, you've been taking God for granted? What if you've been living your life as your own God, your own Savior, your own Lord, without need of Him? And so what if He has intentionally pulled His presence from you and brought this circumstance, this pain to your life? What if He's made you wander in the desert? So that when He returns, you'll cherish Him more than you ever did before. Isn't that at least possible? I think so. I mean, what if pain is an essential element in learning how to live free? What if it's essential? You know, I mean, you might have head knowledge, sure, of your freedom, sure, you've got head knowledge. But what if, what if the only way your heart will access that truth is when pain comes? What if that's the only way to engage your heart in this truth? You know, when life is going good, everything's just coming up roses, your heart really has no need to access this truth, does it? Not really. But when the storms come, when the storms come, your heart has no choice but to reach up into your brain and try to access that truth. Why? Because your heart realizes in the middle of the storm that without that truth, that I am safe and free in my Creator's love, well, without that truth, then my situation really is hopeless. It really is. So your heart is desperate for that truth. Your heart reaches up into your brain to try to grab hold of that. What if pain is the only thing that brings that about? What if loss is the only thing that brings that about? What if spiritual deadness is the only thing that brings that about? The only thing that forces the hand of your heart to reach up into your brain and try to grab hold of that truth of freedom? What if pain is a really important part of freedom? What if the only way we come to believe that His grace is sufficient is in the fires of suffering? I think the Apostle Paul would say, yeah, yeah. That's the only way. It's the only way. Okay, in conclusion, the last point we now come to is the most important element of freedom. It's the most important, the most critical. Point number four in your outline, freedom requires the word. Freedom requires the word. Now, the Israelites here are literally following the spoken words of God, right? They're literally following the words of God spoken through Moses, okay? It is the Word of God who is leading Israel to freedom, okay? Now, that has important implications for us, too, right? I mean, we are all gathered here this morning under the Word of God. The Word of God is leading and guiding everything that we do here today. And it's leading and guiding everything we do in our daily lives, too, okay? We are under the Word of God. So this has important implications for us. And it's exactly the same with Israel, right? We see that. They're just following the words that God is speaking through Moses and Aaron. That's what's happening, okay? That is who is leading Israel. It is the word of God that's leading them. But if you noticed, that's not all that's leading them. That's not all that's leading them. What else is leading them? Well, at the end of our chapter, we see 
the very famous pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that led the Israelites, right? And our text says this week that, you know, pretty explicitly, that this pillar is the presence of God, okay? It's the presence of God. But next week, we'll see something interesting. In the very next chapter over, the text says that the pillar is the presence of the angel of the Lord. So this chapter, it says it's the presence of God. The next chapter, it says it's the presence of the angel of the Lord. Now, which is it? Which is it? Is it the presence of God or is it the presence of the angel of the Lord? Right? I mean, how can this be? How can this be? How can it be the presence of God and the presence of the angel of the Lord? How can it be God and be sent from God? Right? Well, back then, they had no idea. (laughs) They had no idea. This made no sense to Israel. How could it be God and be sent from God? I I don't know. It makes no sense to Israel, but it makes perfect sense to us. It makes perfect sense to us because we know who the angel of the Lord is. We know. We know one who is both God and sent from God. You see. We know that the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. You see, the pillar of fire that's leading Israel is the Word. Capital W. The second member of the Trinity. Our Lord, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. He is the pillar of fire. Now, why is this so critically important to note? It's important, it's critical to know that the fire is Jesus. Because, as we said earlier, that all of us, every stinking one of us, me included, when pain comes, we shake our fists. And we cry, why God, why? How dare you? How could you bring this pain upon me? Well, The best answer to that question, you see, is not a statement, it's a person. The answering to suffering is not a statement, it's not a book, it's a person. It's a person. You see, you start to view your pain a whole lot differently when you realize that Yahweh's pillar of fire, the very one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, the very one who with his mighty hand delivered Israel from bondage, and the very one who leads them to the promised land, he is the one who died for us. He is the one who gave his life to save us. You start to see your pain a whole lot differently when you realize that every pain Every tear, every heartache, every injustice, every sin fell on him. And hey, look, I know that many of you have and are experiencing horrific pain. I get it. That is a reality for virtually all of us. 
And so Martin Luther said this, he said, quote, we would have every right to believe that God is the devil if it wasn't for the cross, end quote, if it wasn't for the cross. You see, in the middle of our horrific circumstances, the cross makes us step back and say, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. If God used the ultimate wrong of the cross to bring about the ultimate right, then maybe, just maybe, he's doing the same thing in my life right now. Maybe, just maybe. You see, the ultimate freedom came about through the ultimate pain. Of Jesus so maybe just maybe my freedom is coming through pain too don't you see folks <laughs> in order to be truly free to live a life of freedom we must above all have the word we must have the word and by golly amazingly we have him. We have him. We didn't earn him. We don't deserve him. But just as he did with Israel, Yahweh gave him to us as a free gift. <laughs> in a lowly manger in Bethlehem, he gave him to us. He gave us the word become flesh to forgive us, to free us, to comfort us, to protect us, to lead us to guide us and to die for us in our place. My friends, the Word has set us free with His very own blood. And the Word will lead us home. <laughs>